0: Are you ready? Yeah, yeah,
1: yes! uh, Let's get ready to
2: rumble. Can't wait. This, this, this is Modern on the mic on the A1 Sports Network.
1: Bow to the masters. Break it down. How you doing, everybody, and welcome to the Moffitt on the Mic radio show, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. I am Craig Moffitt, and of course, this show would not be complete without the people's producer, the head honcho, the Uber driver, janitor, chief cook and bottle washer of the A1 Sports Network. I am, of course, talking about Chris Cliff.
2: What's up, Craig? You know, I never thought I would say these words in my life, but I am ready to talk some Patriots
1: football. Bro, only you would wear a Jets jersey with a Patriots guy coming. Damn straight. I got to rep. Got to rep the colors, man. You know things are kind of cooling out between the Jets and Patriots. You are aware of that. Oh, so I know. The trade in the span of a year is quite impressive. It's like that could be the equivalent of knocking down the Berlin Wall.
2: <laughs> Look, I've always told people this. Even with like, if I were to go to a Yankees game, or even if I were to go up to Foxborough for some reason and watch a, a Patriots game, I got to rep my colors, man. I would rep, I would rep the blue and orange if I was going to a Yankees game. If I'm for some odd reason, if I'm going to a Patriots game, I'm repping the green and white, man. You're one of
1: those guys. I am that guy. Yep. Absolutely. Are, as Clem just mentioned, whenever we have a guest on the show, we always look forward to the season more and more. And tonight is no uh, exception, as we are going to have Patriots beat writer for the Patriots Wire of USA Today. Henry McKenna is going to join us. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, obviously, regarding Cam Newton and just the state of the New England franchise overall in 2020, because it kind of just seems a little all over the place. Mm-hmm. You was know, really talking about him too much. And then when Cam signed, everybody's predicting But uh, we're going to get Henry's uh, opinion on that and a a lot of other stuff to talk about as well. And uh, as we were saying before, um, we're just waiting for Henry to join in. Patrick Mahomes just signed a new deal with the Chiefs. Ten years. Um, I think after all the incentives, it equals out to $503 million. And I will say this right now. It is well-deserved.
2: Well-deserved. I will leave it at
1: that because... Number one, the funny thing about a guy like Patrick Mahomes was nobody knew what to expect out of him when he got drafted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Remember, a lot of people thought he was just going to be the, the guy who knew how to run Kingsbury's air raid offense. Right. And that was it. So there was definitely some question marks about Pat Mahomes coming into that draft. The Chiefs traded all the way up. Did they trade up with Buffalo?
2: Yes. I, I, wanna, I they, think with Buffalo.
1: I could not remember if the Texans traded up with Buffalo to get Watson. Or did the Chiefs trade up with Buffalo to get Mahomes? I cannot Mm.
2: remember. Let me look at it real quick.
1: But, look, either way, at the end of the day, the guy is a phenomenal quarterback, just came off a Super Bowl win. And let's call it what it was, man. The Chiefs had no leverage. They literally had no leverage in these negotiations. Now, that doesn't mean you give Mahomes whatever he wants. You're not going to give him $100 million a year, obviously. But the guy just won you a Super Bowl. Your offense is, I would think, aren't, they should be number one in the NFL and everything. But this was just one of those things where the Chiefs had no leverage whatsoever, that he's that good of a quarterback thriving in Andy Reid's offense that they, were, they had to pay him. They didn't have a choice. But the thing is, is that now he's going to wind up getting in the range of $45 million a year. Dak wants the same thing or maybe a little less and that's where it gets interesting with the Cowboys. That's where it's going to get very interesting because at the end of the day, is Jerry Jones going to pony up that big money for a guy who a lot of people think is not a top 10 quarterback? What do you think?
2: I don't think. I mean, look, I 100% look, every cent of money that Patrick Mahomes is getting from this deal is absolutely worth it. Super Bowl uh MVP. He deserves it all. He he how, how do I say? He defied what everyone was saying about him coming out of college. And he did that and, a, and more. MVP, Super Bowl, best offensive. I he. think it
1: even has like an injury guarantee too, which also helps them. But look, this is, this is a deal you knew what was, it was going to get done. Yeah. You knew there, were, there was no way the Chiefs were going to let Pat Mahomes walk, even though they had plenty of time to get a deal done. But listen, he delivered a Super Bowl championship. He was an MVP. The fact is the Chiefs knew they were going to have to pay him. Quite frankly, $45 million right now for a Super Bowl MVP quarterback is a bargain. It's a bargain when you look at it. Mm -hmm. And that's what the whole drama is, you know, when you – because I said this to my wife's cousin. I said, I guess we'll expect the Jamal Adams tantrum at some point today about – Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah, probably. –
1: Mahomes getting his deal. But it's a well-deserved contract. He's earned every penny of that contract. Yeah, exactly. A guy that had a lot of question marks coming out of the draft, and he did, People knew he had the arm. People knew he had the mobility. It was just the fact of, was he a product of a particular offense? And that's what people didn't really know. That's what people weren't really sure about with regards to Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. But he proved them all wrong, and he won the Chiefs of Super Bowl, and he got Andy Reid finally off the schneid.
2: Exactly. Super
1: Bowl championship. So, but um, look, at the end of the day, it's a great deal for him. It's a well-deserved deal. And now the next question becomes – when does Deshaun Watson get paid? Yeah, I think
2: I think he. I mean, he's been playing great as well. You know, just I, I would say he's top seven quarterback in the league right now, and he's very deserving of a high contract. I wouldn't say that much money, but maybe like thirty-five mil a year. Mm-hmm. He's, he's up. He's up there. I think. I think he's very well deserving of of a big contract.
1: No, so at the end of the day, I mean, this is. But this is the type of stuff that, you know, the Jets are dealing with with Jamal Adams. And you see the night and day difference with position, right? Mm-hmm. Because quarterback is the anchor of the offense. You have a good quarterback, you don't let that guy go. Especially if the guy wins you a Super Bowl. Right. Jamal Adams is a little bit different. He's a safety. So when you see a guy like Mahomes, what do he throw for 5,000 yards last year? It was like around that?
2: Something around that probably, yeah. yeah.
1: Now, the funny thing was before we started, I was on Twitter and somebody had posted Jamal Adams' stats and for this year, and they said he had twenty-three pressures in twenty nineteen, which is ten more than the guy in second place, which was Malcolm Jenkins. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when you hear something like that, twenty-three pressures compared to forty five hundred to five thousand yards, however many touchdowns, and a Super Bowl rate. hmm doesn't it quite go into the same boat if you catch my drift?
2: No, he does Yeah, it absolutely doesn't. But, yeah, his stats from last year, he had 26 touchdowns, five interceptions, and he threw four. Watch your mic. My bad. bad? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, listen, at the end of the day, it's a great deal for Mahomes. It's a great deal for the Kansas City Chiefs. And their franchise quarterback is locked and loaded for the next ten years. Yep. And that's all you really got to ask for. And you have that security. You have that stability. You don't have to worry about anything. You know, you just—I hate you know—I hate to kind of you know the only downside to this kind of a deal could just be if he gets injured, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: if it's like a knee injury of some kind. But you know, you don't even think about that right now. You're just happy that negotiations went smooth, and he's going to be basically a Kansas City chief. Most I would be surprised for life. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but even when you just mentioned, you know. With this, is the money that Dak is earning. Look at just look at the two resumes between Dak and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes blows Dak out of the water. And, he, and Ray Charles knows that can see that Patrick Mahomes is a way better quarterback than Derek, Dak, uh, Dak Prescott. And the, it's, it's just absurd that Dak is asking for this money.
0: literally But you can argue
1: at the same time that Dak may have hit his peak in Dallas. Mm hmm. He's never taken that team to a championship game. He's never taken that team to a Super Bowl. They always seem to hover around 9 and 7 every year. It doesn't matter who you put on the team. Last year that offense was just as loaded as this year. The only difference between last year's offense and this year's offense is you take Jason Witten off and you put CD Lamb in. Right. Okay, but last year they had the same guys, right? They had Zeke, they had a great offensive line. Dak was healthy all season. Amari Cooper was healthy all season. Michael Gallup was a 1,000-yard receiver. Their defense wasn't, was good. They rushed the passer. Their secondary was a little questionable. And, of course, now losing Byron Jones, it might even be more questionable this year. Mm-hmm. But that team was pretty much intact. And they, could, they couldn't get by the Philadelphia Eagles for the division. Yeah, and and the, uh, and again, that's very alarming. And you can blame it on Jason Garrett all you want. And that's fair. You know, Jason Garrett, to me, he outstayed his welcome in Dallas a long time ago. But at the end of the day, it's also on deck. And for a guy who's going to sit there through his agent and demand 40 to $45 million a year to re-sign with Dallas, all you have to do is look at the film of his games to see that he is not that type of quarterback. Right. And the thing is, Even bringing in a guy like Mike McCarthy this year. You keep your OC in Kellen Moore, so Dak shouldn't be losing a step. He should not be losing a step if you keep the same offense and the same OC, even if you have a new coach. Right. And I just don't know what Dak Prescott is. Yes, he's a great stats guy. He does not turn the ball over very much. I think last year he threw about 30 touchdowns. He had a good season. He had a good season. But – if Mahomes is getting this amount of money, and he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, I easily have to take ten to twelve million dollars off what I'm paying Dak Prescott for the year, and I don't know if I want to pay him that kind of money because I don't really know what he is. Yeah,
2: because he hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't taken that next level that the Cowboys, the Cowboys, and Cowboys fans want Dak to take. They saw he had a good rookie year, and was like, they have to need Dak Prescott, but he never took that next level step. He's always been, like, average. He's been an average quarterback, which is which – is no, it's nothing bad, but you're trying to win Super Bowls out here, especially when you're the Cowboys. You're America's team. You're America's franchise. Cow-
1: What's that? Oh, yeah. Quote,
2: unquote, America's team.
1: <laughs> but the Cowboys fans will protect him and blame it on Garrett. -hmm. Just like the way Jet fans tend to protect Darnold and they immediately blame Gates. Right. But the reason is is because they just don't, they personally don't like Garrett. They personally don't like Gates. But as I've said on the show a few times, when does the onus fall on the player to succeed, to take this team to the next level? Darnold's a little bit more understanding. Two years, has not played a full season yet. He's missed three games each season. And towards the second half of last year, He showed strides of being that quarterback. And you Mm -hmm. hope it it goes into 2020 if there's a season. But from Dak, man, I don't see that improvement. I don't see that I got to take my team to the next step, which is first I got to get them to the playoffs, which the Cowboys always seem to struggle to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I got to get them to the championship game. There's always expect, big expectations for Dallas every year. The NFL is salivating for a Dallas Super Bowl. They are salivating for a Cowboys Super Bowl because the revenue stream will go through the friggin' roof. There are so many Cowboy fans in the United States. We're not even talking about Texas. But right now... There's nothing that tells me that Dak is that quarterback. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Not one thing.
2: Yeah. There's nothing. He's just been average. Not bad. Not amazing. Average. And, again, that's not – when you have a team like the Cowboys, like the offense they have, they have the, the best O-line in the league, one of the best running backs in the league. You have a nice – in C.D. Lamb, Lamb now. And – Dak Prescott is not the guy to take you to the next level, unfortunately. Like, you could probably put Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, a bunch of co- quarterbacks in, you know, onto that team. Okay. I guarantee you they get to the NFC Championship game or better. I'll give you one
1: better. Could you argue that next year, 2020, mm-hmm. the best quarterback coming out of the NFC East could be Daniel Jones?
2: Yeah. Do you no, think you Daniel can argue- Jones can make better
1: than Dak Prescott?
2: You can make an argument that Daniel Jones could be better than Dak Prescott because Carson Wentz has not been the uh, 2016 injured. Carson Wentz. He's, since he's been injured, he has not been the same quarterback. Dak Prescott has never went to that next level that everyone wants him to He's been good. I'll give him that. He's been good. He's not Super Bowl good. He's not, good. He's not NFC Championship game good. If Daniel Jones takes, takes that next step, he could easily be the, next, uh, the, the best quarterback in the NFC, NFC East.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that, listen, Daniel Jones, outside of the turnovers and the fumbling, had a pretty good rookie season, especially for the fact that Giant fans just hated him when they drafted him. They hated that pick up and down. Mm -hmm. But now, here's the thing that worries me about Daniel Jones in year two. New coach, new coordinator. That's always a little troublesome for me. Now, Garrett is the coordinator, so that could work to his advantage. You know, Garrett's a quarterback guy. Maybe it could work to his advantage. And you are bringing back basically the same personnel. Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, of course. So the tools are there for Daniel Jones to succeed. And I could argue he could have a better season than Dak Prescott.
2: No, you absolutely could. Because, again, like you mentioned, if all those other guys, you know, take their next levels as well, especially Daniel Jones, him having the whole reins of the season now, it could easily be Daniel Jones could be the better court, the better quarterback in the NFC East this year. Now, back to his what he would look like an MVP when he would, before he got injured. If Dak Prescott can finally take that hump, Dwayne Haskins is he's not even in the question. So I'm not even I'm not even worried about Dwayne Haskins yet. But it, it, there um, is an argument to make
1: okay. that Daniel. See, here's the thing about here's the thing about Dwayne Haskins. They have not given him the tools to succeed yet. Hmm. When you don't give him – if you're going to pull the same card everybody pulls for Sam Darnold about the weapons, then you got to show the love for Dwayne Haskins in that department too. Now, the Redskins stumbled across Terry McLaurin last year, had a great first season for the Redskins. But you haven't surrounded Terry McLaurin around other weapons that can distract. So that's going to affect Dwayne Haskins. And if you're becoming a running team with Darius Geis and – Uh, Adrian Peterson is still on the roster, of course. Okay, fine. But you cannot expect your quarterback to take a step forward in 2020 when you don't provide him the tools for 2019 Mm -hmm. that you had from 2019. And the thing is, is like, for example, Mike Francesa the other day, because Ira from Staten Island had called in. And, you know, if you've ever listened to Mike Francesa or just WFAN, Ira always calls into every show to talk Jets. And, like, he's like an optimistic – he's like the optimistic pessimist. OK, he's the type of guy that tries to look for the silver lining, but he agrees too much with what everybody else says. Mm-hmm. So he kind of cancels himself out like he doesn't know how to formulate his own opinion. And that's just from him being a Jet fan for like, I don't know, 50 years. But Mike Francesa said, is there any other team that has a worse receiving core than the New York Jets? Uh, yeah, Washington. <laughs> I haven't heard of it. Half the guys on Washington's receiving core are rookies. hmm. In fact, I could, I could name a few teams right now that have an equal or worse than receiving core than the Jets. I will start with Washington. I will continue with Oakland. I don't like Oakland's receivers at all, outside of the tight end, Darren Waller.
2: I mean, I think Tyrell Williams had a good season last year, towards the end of the season at least. And then they have uh, Jerry Judy. So, I mean.
1: No, they don't have Jerry Judy. They have Henry Ruggs.
2: Henry Ruggs. Here's the problem.
1: But here's the problem. You've overloaded that receiving core with rookies. Mm-hmm. And that for a veteran like Derek Carr, that's not that's not a great thing. Yeah. You definitely want to get some veteran presence in that receiving core. Which means you might be a little over-reliant on the tight end because your receiving core is not that great. And the thing is, look, at the end of the day, here's my here's my thing. No one was complaining about the Jets receiving core when they went six and two, when Sam threw 13 touchdowns. Threw, ran for two more and only had four picks in the last eight games of the season. Right. Nobody gave a rat's ass who was lining up our receivers for the Jets. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, well, their receiving core is by far the worst. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I like their receiving core the way it is. I like Jamison Crowder a lot. I think Denzel Mims, I'm not, a, I don't have high expectations for Denzel Mims in his first year. I don't expect him to be uh, DeAndre Hopkins. But, Rashad Perryman and Robbie Anderson cancel each other out as far as I'm concerned. You have two quality tight ends in Herndon and Ryan Griffin. You just hope Herndon is 100% healthy, ready to go. And you have some, you have some decent depth. I like Braxton Barrios as a slot receiver a lot. I like Vincent Smith, you know, but we have to develop. We don't develop anybody anymore. Mm -hmm. If you don't develop, then how are these guys ever going to get good?
2: Yeah. Like I think they, they took the chance on developing Robbie Anderson and when they realize like he kind of just like plateaus and he's so, in, he's so inconsistent, I think that's why they didn't want to sign him back this year. Which I get. I get that. And he was easily replaceable with uh, Prashad Perryman.
1: Yeah. So, it remains to be seen. But right now, Dak Prescott has had long enough to take this team to the next level, and he hasn't. Yep. And if I asked all my Cowboy fan friends, they'd probably say the same thing. They like having him because, you know, listen. You know, when you find a good quarterback, you really try not to let it go. And the thing is, though, it was almost like Detroit kept Matt Stafford around for years and years and years, and they never won a damn thing with Matt Stafford. They went to the playoffs one year, I think, uh, Beside, I think I forgot what year it was. I want to say it was 2012.
2: It was the year after uh, Megatron
1: retired, whenever that was. But I don't even think they got past the first round. No, they didn't. And they've never gone any further than that. So you're literally wasting Matt Stafford. Mm -hmm. You're wasting Matt Stafford at that point. That's why I said when we first started putting our shows back, they should have drafted two of them. I would have found somebody to take Matt Stafford, try to trade him. I know his contract makes it very difficult, though, so I understand that part. But at the end of the day, you've literally wasted Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford is not going to win the Detroit Lions a championship anytime soon, if ever. It's not going to matter who is the quarterback of the team. You're listening to the Moffat on the Mike show, courtesy of the A1 Sports Radio Network. We are still waiting for Henry McKenna, Patriots beat writer for the Patriots wire of USA Today. Um, hopefully he'll be on in the next couple of minutes. He is aware it's today, right? Uh, yeah.
2: We, I told him. He asked me. He was like seven E.T., and I'm so su- I'm assuming that meant Eastern time, yeah.
1: Okay, you know, yeah.
2: So. yeah, Eastern time. So I was like, yeah, seven o'clock. I was like, okay, and he was like, okay, perfect. know, I was like, okay, see you at seven. Gave him the ID and password and everything like that. Haven't haven't heard. I just I messaged him a couple times. So I was just like, hey, you are still alive or?
1: You didn't have to say you're still alive.
2: No, I didn't say that, but I was like, hey, yeah, I was like, everything okay? And I I was like, do you need the ID again? And no answer yet. So,
1: all right, we'll see. You. Well, for right okay. now, he's. Is... We are still waiting for him to join us. And uh, as soon as he uh, la- joins the Zoom meeting, we'll, uh, we'll be chatting some Patriots football. <laughs> so a um, couple of other notes. Obviously, baseball took a little bit of a hit over the weekend with the numerous COVID-19 cases. But now you're also getting the fact of players dropping out mm-hmm. for the season. And here's my argument to that. My argument to that is... If this was what you were going to do to begin with, then why did we drag out discussions for months regarding money, regarding this, regarding that? Over the span of two days, the biggest name, obviously, to drop out for this year is David Price. Mm-hmm. And just today, while it's not a huge name, Nick Marcakis is not is opting out of the 2020 season. Yeah. Felix Hernandez is another guy, although that's, that would have been more of a story eight years ago not what he is today because he's he's a shell of what he used to be but Ian Desmond Mike Leek, Ryan Zimmerman Wellington Castillo or another ones there's a lot of talk going around that Trout may opt out this year because I think Trout just I think his wife just I think he just has a newborn baby Buster Posey's threatening to opt out of the season this year and even today what did you have you had Washington canceled workouts today. Houston canceled workouts because they didn't get the COVID test back in time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So now there's a problem with the testing system with regards to just getting the results quick. And that's not a good thing. So then you start to ask yourself I mean, now listen, this is just the beginning. Throw into a fact two Yankees just tested positive DJ LeMahieu, Luis Sessa. Adding more to that is the fact. Masahiro Tanaka took a line drive off of his head from Giancarlo Stanton. Do you get the sense that this is just bad luck? Yeah. Almost like signs from God not to move forward with a baseball season?
2: It's not It's not a good look. And I, like you even just said, if people were just planning to opt out anyway, or even if they weren't, they're just seeing like, oh, you know, like, I'm just gonna do it now because everyone else is getting tested positive. I'm gonna drop out. what? What? What's the point of even carrying out this season? Because God, you know, games like, like, uh, like Trout, uh, Acuna, Altuve, Bregman—all these big-name guys—they drop out. No one's gonna pay really pay attention to baseball. As sad as that is to say. I, mean, I agree. Yeah, it's – like because people will watch to be like, oh, I can't wait to see Mike Trout. If Mike Trout's not playing, I'm not watching any Angels
1: games. If Alex Bregman – You understand the gravity of the situation, though, right? Because, look, if you take Mike Trout off the Angels and he winds up not playing the 2020 season, you can pretty much eliminate the Angels from postseason play. Yeah. Because they're not going to be – they weren't going to be that great of a team anyway because they don't have the pitching. You also have Shohei Holtani coming back from Tommy John, and he's going to be a two-way player this year. He's going to be a pitcher and a hitter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's another part, you know, but that's a bad, I mean, it's not a bad look. What you have to do to sacrifice, if you have to make the ultimate sacrifice for your family, I respect that immensely. Yeah. At the end of the day. My thinking on this is, is that why are you going to drag for days and days and days with Tony Clark and Rob Manfred having a pissing contest? over who's really the reason why we're not having a season, when the second a few positive tests come out, everybody starts to get that nervous feeling. Right. And you have players who don't understand why they're moving forward with it. So were they even notified of how this was going to work? Because it's pretty alarming if all of a sudden, after a couple of days of being with your team, and there's a couple of positive tests, all of a sudden now you have people, you know, players dropping out of the season and other players are sick are questioning. Why are we even doing this? Right. If you had those things to begin with, then you should have made it very clear to major league baseball that I'm sorry, we don't feel comfortable moving forward with a season. If it means our salaries, so be it. This is the scary part about COVID. This is the very scary part about COVID because it disappeared for, not disappear, let me rephrase that. It died down a little bit to the point where it wasn't a major issue. Something else got in the way, which was ultimately the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. The toppling of Confederate statues and all that other stuff. We were so fixated on that, we forgot about COVID. Yeah. So fixated on that, that it never dawned on us. And of course, the hot weather comes back, people are getting tired of being in their homes, they wanna go out, they wanna do this, they wanna do that, and they can't, they can't. Then, out of left field, COVID comes back with a vengeance. Now you have a new record for cases in Florida, you have a record of cases in Arizona, you have a record of cases in Texas. Texas is demanding that people wear masks now, wherever they go. New York is supposed, Long Island is supposed to have phase four opening on Wednesday. But of course they're not opening malls. They're not opening movie theaters. They're not opening gyms. They're not opening any of those. And now what's a little alarming and kind of ridiculous for me is now all of a sudden baseball players are starting to say to themselves, what the hell are we doing when for the past month, Clem, Mm -hmm. It wasn't even about the health protocols. It wasn't about the health and well-being of the athletes. It was about money. It was about how much money they could get for this season. All the times that we were – before we finally built up to where Manfred finally just said, you know what, I'm going to use my commissioner power and make it a 60-game season. Right. I mean, this is bad.
2: This is – yeah, it's not a good look. Like I said, I – when they came out saying that, yeah, they'll have a sixty-game season. I was hyped because I'm like, all right, we're gonna get baseball back. I would, lo- I'm gonna watch baseball no matter what. But I don't like the idea that like they really like try to this squeeze the season together. And now you're getting the contrast, like when, they, like, yeah, they probably the players that probably said, yeah, we'll we're ready to go. You know, we'll get, we'll, te- we'll take whatever test. And they got tested. And now that the tests are coming back positive, players are like, whoa. I got to take care of about my family. And they probably didn't think about that at first, you know. And now people are dropping like flies left and right and dropping out. I think they should – honestly, just, I think they should just cancel the season at this point. It's not a good look.
1: No, it's definitely not. And the fact is, is that, again, you don't know what's going to happen because we're still a few weeks away from games being played. Mm-hmm. Today, tonight they released a schedule. I don't know if you saw it.
2: I saw the Mets got uh, the Braves opening day.
1: The Mets have the Braves to start the season. Then they have a home-and-home with the Boston Red Sox. Okay. And then they go to Atlanta and then to Washington and then home for the Marlins. I mean, listen, there's no way you can make this – you cannot sugarcoat this schedule. This is a difficult schedule for the Mets. Yeah. There's no question. The last three series – home against the Braves, home against the Rays, and at the Nationals. So that's going to be a pretty brutal stretch of 10 games right there at the very end. But right now, people are kind of freaking out here. And where was this outrage months ago when you were negotiating with the league about getting a season again? Because again, it wasn't about It wasn't about the health of the players. It wasn't about the protocols for testing. It wasn't about, what are we going to do if somebody tests positive? It was just about money. That's all the talk was about. Mm -hmm. The league wanted the players to take two pay cuts, basically, the players said no. And that's where it just kept going back and forth. Right. And after a while, it just got ridiculous. It got absolutely ridiculous. And now, all of a sudden, you know, a couple of big players. We I'll run them down real quickly. Miguel Sano tested positive. Salvador Perez, Aaron Nola, DJ LeMahieu. The one that's probably the worst out of all these guys is Freddie Freeman, because Freddie Freeman was actually is actually really sick right now. The other, so I think, a couple of the guys are either asymptomatic or I think LeMahieu was a. Uh, I don't know if LeMahieu is asymptomatic or not, but, you know, again, Freddie Freeman's been running like a hive. His wife posted on Twitter saying that he's been running a really bad fever and all that stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we heard it from when we had VSK on the show, how bad this is. And now all of a sudden players are sitting here going, hey, what are we, you know, what are we doing playing the, playing the game right now when everybody's getting sick? Yeah, Henry's here. Henry is here. Okay, let's put him through. Joining us right now on the Moffat on the Mike radio show, he is the Patriots beat writer for the Patriots Wire of USA Today. We are talking to Henry McKenna. Henry, are you there? I am. How's it going, guys? Good. How are you, man? I'm well. I'm well. <laughs> Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to us tonight.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: Okay, so obviously uh, the big news from uh, Patriot land. Uh, last week was the signing of Cam Newton. And um, my, I guess my, obviously the, the big question is, why does it seem like the Patriots have soured on Jared Stidham after signing Cam Newton when we basically heard throughout most of the offseason that they seem to be very high on him? And even the defensive players such as Devin McCourty and Stefan Gilmore seem to be hyping him as, you know, as a good quarterback. Well,
0: you you always have to be careful with what is being said in New England because it's rarely what is true. (laughs) Bill (laughs) Belichick is the master of controlling public relations. He always has been um, because as much as we give him a hard time for being grumpy and failing to address the most important topics generally about his team, he will often speak at length about things that he wants to – sort of divert the conversation towards. So it, you know, in a press conference level, he's constantly controlling what the media writes about. And I would say um, from what people don't say, he is controlling that, right. Uh, the players get indoctrinated with a very thorough media training process when they join the Patriots. Um, and so there, there's just such a careful level about what kind of information leaves that organization. So, it, with that in mind, I think when you hear that Jared Stidham's hype train is kind of moving, um, you wonder okay, is that to help the Patriots get leverage against Cam Newton's agent? Or is that simply them preparing for the possibility that someone will come in and provide Cam with an offer that they can't match? So they will be then content with the report that comes out with, okay. Cam Newton just signed a deal with the Chargers, but the Patriots were in the mix. That doesn't look good for them. It looks like they were interested in replacing Stidham, but ultimately lost out. So again, these are are sort of like, you know, manipulations of the storyline where Belichick wants to come out looking good. And especially with Tom Brady leaving, he has to be very careful how this storyline plays out with the quarterback so I think that's kind of why the hype train got really high on Stidham and then has all of a sudden fallen I don't think anything has changed with how they've used Stidham internally which is that he could be the quarterback of the future but so too could be Cam Newton
2: now to even go off that going into this offseason is now now that you guys have Cam Newton you know former MVP went to the Super Bowl is this going to be an open competition or is this going to be Cam Newton's job to lose?
0: Yeah, so somehow I think it'll be both. I think, <laughs> I think it's tough, right? Like, obviously, Cam Newton's the most talented quarterback in that quarterback room. Mm-hmm. You said MVP. He's a guy who's been to a Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's his to lose. But, again, we talk about what the Patriots say and what's actually happening. But the Patriots will say – is that it's an open competition. Um, and and contractually, you know, it technically it is, right? Like, Hoyer is making the – Brian Hoyer is making the veteran minimum, just like Cam, and Jarrett and Stidham is making, you know, a very, very mediocre rookie contract because he was a fourth-round pick. So, from a financial standpoint, you know, they've set themselves up to justify – the 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 language that they're going to use which is that it's over competition but I think if we're all being real we all know that Cam Newton is the most talented guy they would not have signed him if they didn't think he could beat out Jared Stidham right like why bring in um why bring in this huge conversation um about him if, if they didn't think that he was going to beat out Snoop. So I think it's, I think it's um, mostly that it's his job to lose, even though we'll hear that it's an open competition.
1: You know, every year the Patriots seem to lose m- multiple guys on uh, offense and defense. This year was no exception. Obviously the big one, Tom Brady, and then they traded Gronkowski to Tampa. But on defense, they also lost Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy, and they traded Deron Harmon to Detroit. Obviously the secondary is still intact, the McCordys and Patrick Chung and Stefan Gilmore. But with the losses of Collins and Van Noy, do you think that's going to put a lot of pressure on a second year player like Chase Winovich to improve on his rookie season to generate a pass rush?
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think, so I think Chase Winovich has a big uh, burden to bear. I think John Simon, another veteran has a big burden to bear. And then interestingly, I think they've got sort of this mishmash of, versatile linebackers that they brought in this season. So like Brandon Copeland, um, the guy you're what? familiar with. Yeah, former Jet. Um, he uh, – I think he strikes me as the kind of guy that the Patriots could turn into Kyle Van Uh where, you know, maybe he's gone underutilized in uh, the Jet system and they've identified a versatile guy who they can sort of reassign – into a different role um you know but obviously those those sorts of risks go awry all the time whether it's you know nfl or patriots um so if it doesn't go right with copeland they drafted uh the alabama linebacker and fernie jennings they drafted the michigan linebacker Joshua. Shea. Mm-hmm. so they have these this sort of like deep stable of linebackers that i think they hope can kind of like they can massage it into a capable three down core. I do not think these players will all be three down players. Winovich was largely a third down player. John Simon was largely a first and second down player. So, and, and if you look at Fernie Jennings, the Alabama prospect or product, he was largely an early, he, or at least projects to be largely an early down prospect And Uche probably will play more third down stuff. Um, so you can see how they're going to piece together the Kyle Van Noy and Collins Boyd. Um, and even a Landon Roberts to, to a small degree, he didn't have a huge um, impact in 2019, but he went to Miami this offseason. He was like sort of a hard thumping inside linebacker guy, but obviously that job's kind of dying in the NFL these days.
2: Um, sticking with the defense, you know, I gotta, I'm watching the 2020 draft second round and you guys drafted Kyle Duggar, the, uh, the safety from division two and watching it. I'm like, you know what? Everyone's like bashing it. Like, Oh, how can the Patriots? I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Bill Belichick's an evil genius. He knows what he's doing. So can you, can you have some, uh, background on like why the, the Patriots did draft him and like what they saw in him and to take him in the
0: second round? yeah it's a good question for sure um so I did like I did a little bit of uh reporting on i mean obviously i did I did a fair amount of reporting on duggar, but I did a little story on him um which which meant kind of calling the coaches that have been around him in his college career because he's had a few mm-hmm. and I almost like didn't write the story about duggar because it was like so obvious in a way it was like He's the best kid ever. Like he's supremely talented. He is an engineering. He has an engineering degree, um, which which sort of speaks to like his ridiculous work ethic and intelligence. Because he was the best player in Division Two, mm-hmm. um, and he really was by far the best player in Division Two. Whether it was returning three punts for touchdowns in a single game, or um, you know flying across the field. At a speed that nobody else can match in D2 to get an interception. And that's not even to speak to his ridiculous size. He's like six foot two, runs, I think, a four, four, though don't quote me for sure on that. Um, and so he's just a special prospect, um, regardless of what level he came from. But do I think that that means that he's sort of like a low, floor high ceiling guy like totally I think the Patriots probably acknowledge that that's why they took him in the second round a round where Belichick tends to take those high-risk players Rob Gronkowski obviously being a player that panned out super well Mm -hmm. and then like Razai Dowling or um, Cyrus Jones a more recent both cornerbacks both guys that did not play to their draft status so it's a place where belichick has had a high bust rate but also like a crazy return on like a very select few who do very well and the rest do very poorly so um you know Duggar strikes me as that guy it's like he's either a perennial pro bowler in like two years or he's a guy who it seems like the athleticism was great but it didn't translate from d2 to nfl
1: Henry, um, one of the things the Patriots also did, which I thought was a little strange besides, of course, during the draft trading with the Jets, um, because this is like basically, this is two deals the Jets and Patriots have made in the past like six months, which is like the equivalent of knocking down the Berlin wall in many ways, (laughs) because that was never like a remote possibility ever under any GM. But um, the Patriots drafted two tight ends in the third round. Um, Mix that in with the fact that their receiving core, to me, on paper, looks very weak outside of Julian Edelman, of course, and now you're throwing in a new quarterback like Cam Newton. Normally, it wouldn't matter. Clement and I could play wide receiver for the Patriots if Tom Brady was quarterback, no problem. But now that Cam Newton is part of the whole picture, new re- you know a couple of new receivers to go with Nikhil, Harry, Muhammad Sanu, and these two new tight ends. Do you think the Patriots are going to be more of a run-oriented team in 2020 with Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead rather than a more
0: of a passing team yeah I think they're going to use their run probably to set up the pass and they've been doing that for the last two years like Brady as much as folks in New England will claim that he wasn't declining like I think he was and I think the Patriots were doing everything they could to help the run game or to have the run game help Brady so in 2018 that worked really well Sonny Michel ran for 400 yards in the playoffs, and he had six touchdowns, uh, including the only touchdown in that Super Bowl win over the Rams. The Patriots also drafted a left tackle, um, obviously a pass protector, but a guy who blocks the run very, very well in Isaiah Wynn. And then, um, so it's clear they've been trying to sort of set up this run game, I think from like a draft asset standpoint and from like the understanding that whether their quarterback is Tom Brady or the next guy, they're probably going to have to lean on their run game more than ever. Um, so here they are probably doing just that, where like Sony Michelle had a really bad year, honestly, in 2019. And I'm not so sure that he'll turn it around in 2020, but if there's any quarterback that could help him, it's Cam Newton probably because Newton brings a whole level of uh, run Uh, run threat that many quarterbacks don't. So, I mean, linebackers have to account for the fact that Newton could be on a, you know, RPO holding the ball. Tom Brady never ran an RPO, not in his probably whole life, nor should he. Uh, And so Cam Newton can be a threat in the running game. And like you said, they drafted those two tight ends. Um, One of them is basically a fullback, sort of H-back, uh, guy Dalton Keene out of the Virginia tech. He uh, has, has a sort of fascinating skill set. like his athletic profile fits George Kittle. And I think obviously Patriots fans are getting ahead of themselves and comparing him to George Kittle, um, which is not a fair comparison, but um, the athleticism, the mere fact that he's on, you know, on par with Kittle is, is notable. And, um, he, even though he's played mostly fullback mostly made plays out of the backfield seems like he's got the athleticism to translate to tight end but in the meantime he's going to be spending a lot of time on the field as sort of like an inline, line h-back fullback kind of guy I think they're going to put Jay, um, Dan Vitale on the field the fullback they signed this offseason to replace James Devlin who retired after getting a severe neck injury. Um and all of a the sudden they're gonna be like a pretty bulky but fast team and that will suit both Newton and Michelle, I think, in a in a big way.
2: Now speaking of, you know, Craig mentioned that the Patriots are gonna probably and you even said it yourself, we're gonna look on more focusing on the run game this year. A guy who recently just came out and is demanding a trade from the Browns is David the tight end David Njoku, Is can are the Patriots gonna be like looking into getting a guy like that to add to their tight end slash wide receiver core because he has he's a crazy athletic he has great speed and he and like you said like we said he's a tight end too
0: yeah it's all about asking price with with any trade Mm -hmm. um Njoku is is such a good player I think we saw that um a few years ago how good he can be and in flat like basically last year right uh well 2018 meaning last year um when when baker was on at the end of last year so was uh njoku baker mayfield obviously um so i think you know how talented he is i think he's just as tempting of a prospect as oj howard was and the patriots were like sort of reported to be checking in on oj howard's trade value at a number twist of twists and turns Um, over the last like two years, really. So I think they would be interested in Najoku, but I think it would be totally a question of how much they had to give up. So if it's like a third or a fourth round pick, they're totally in. Um, I don't think they'd give up a second or definitely not a first. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for the Patriots, they lost their third round pick for next year because of the Spygate 2 scandal. So they don't have a third round pick. I mean, they'll have a compensatory pick because of Tom Brady, but obviously they can't trade that yet. So basically it's like, okay, how do they put together a proper trade package for Njoku that the Browns would actually accept?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And my guess is the Browns won't take anything uh, worse than a second rounder, which I don't know if the Patriots would be willing to give up, um, especially when they just sunk two third rounders into that position. But I do think they need a guy like Njoku. Um, tight ends rarely make an impact on their first year. So even though they have Devin Asiasi, who is the other tight end they drafted, and he's a guy who, who projects much more naturally to the NFL game than the guy I just talked about, Dalton Keene, I do think that um, Njoku would be like the perfect fit for them as sort of like a bridge player or, or even like a long-term threat. Um, as a move tight end, but but it, not sure that the trade value will quite match up for the Patriots.
1: We are talking to Henry McKenna, Patriots beat writer for the Patriots right, on, of uh, USA Today on the Mafia on the Mic show here, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. Henry, um, I wrote this question down, so I'm going to try to see if I can ask it without sounding a little confusing, if you don't mind. <laughs> so basically it seems every year the Patriots – They lose a lot of guys. They make a couple of questionable moves in the offseason. And then all of a sudden, they make a big splash. Obviously, this year, the splash, if you want to call it that, is Cam Newton. Last year, I'm going to call the splash, when they were able to get him, was Antonio Brown. And then when that happens, we automatically run to, say, the Patriots are back and they're going to win the AFC East. And they're going to, you know, they, they're already catapulted into at least a number three seed. So my question is, do you think Bill Belichick enjoys that, that psychological advantage <laughs> in these types of maneuvers over, like, fans and sports writers and analysts to an extent?
0: Totally. I mean, it's, <laughs> he, we're talking about a dude who, who definitely has an ego. Um, I think I think it used to be that he cared about what people think. And right now I think he sort of, I mean, he definitely cares, but he cares less. And, and so I think he sort of finds it entertaining to be like, I've won six Super Bowls <laughs> just as the Patriots head coach. Obviously he's got the the New York Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator, of but he, he's like, I've got six Super Bowls, so I can do whatever I want. Robert Kraft, the owner, lets me d- spend his money how I want to and you know Antonio Brown is one of the top 15 maybe even the top 10 cap hits for the Patriots in 2020 like that was a very very bad move uh and like you said everybody came out of it thinking oh the Patriots are at it again like what a steal Mm, no (laughs) (laughs) like that
1: (laughs) that was the reaction when Cam Newton signed was you know we, we all forget that Cam Newton didn't play he only played two games last year and missed the entire season with a shoulder injury And then I think, I don't even know if he was recently healthy up until like a couple of months ago because the Panthers had kind of wrote him off once Matt Rule came, went to Carolina to be the coach. And the minute that the Patriots signed Cam Newton, it was like everybody was right back on the, you know, the Patriots are, you know, easily number three seed of Cam, you know, with Cam Newton. And the thing with me is, is that, I, I mean, listen, it's a good signing for the Patriots a low-risk, high-reward signing, and I'll never second-guess a Bill Belichick move. <laughs> like, I mean, the guy's burned us as Jets fans so many times, you just can never second-guess the move. But it, it's just interesting the way it just always seems that, like, they just come out of nowhere with this one move, and we immediately put them right at the, the cream of the crop of the AFC.
0: Right. I think okay, so I think that's a fair. I think it. What I will say to that is that it's fair to question whether the Patriots are suddenly the best team in the AFC East, and obviously then in turn the AFC. Right. But I do not think it's really fair to question the Cam Newton deal, if only because what happens if he's bad? They lose five hundred and fifty k. That's literally that's like, it. nothing. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah so yeah. So good risk for the patriots to to get a former mvp at quarterback at quarterback in the building for a half a million dollars guaranteed and if he stinks if he's if he's a dud they cut him and they figure out how to move on with stidham or brian hoyer and if he's playing at mvp caliber or even like a like a half of that right like let's say he plays like he did in 2018 (laughs) <laughs> then then obviously like you know they're happy to spend 7.5 million which is the max that Newton can earn with incentives. They're happy to spend that 7.5 million on Newton in large part because it won't count toward their cap. So
2: one thing in my lifetime I never thought I'd see is Tom Brady play for another team. And as a Jets fan, so happy he's in the NFC. But as a Patriots writer, how is life without
0: Tom Brady? Oh, uh, I mean, I still write about Tom Brady. I, I probably, so long as I'm on this beat, I will be covering the the every move of Tom Brady. He's so ingrained in New England's sporting interest that everything that happens with him will be um will be covered. What I will say um, about the move, though, as sort of like as as a media member, is that I think uh it's interesting to watch. Tom Brady not have many apologists anymore, so mm-hmm. New England media has gotten a little bit harsher on him mm-hmm. in recent months since he left and I think Tampa Bay doesn't have an attachment to him, so all of a sudden he's sort of defenseless so when he goes out and he advocates for you know his his t b twelve products that support immuno health during the covid pandemic right. it's like what are you doing? Like, are you really (laughs) trying to profit off of, uh, you know, everyone's fear of this pandemic? And are you really thinking that like your product can actually help people Mm -hmm. fend off COVID? Uh, So there's, there's some, there's always been that problem. Like Brady has always been pushing his own products. His own uh, TB12 method is what it's called, which was designed by a guy named Alex Guerrero, who at one point was facing a lawsuit for pretending to be a doctor. There's always been this sort of like weird side of Brady where he's like got this strange phys- physical dog, like a um, an approach to training, a dogma of training that like is kind of sketchy. And he's now like pushing it harder than ever. And mm-hmm. Boston's like rejecting it a little bit more than normal. And Tampa's like also just being like, than, like, normal and saying this is weird. Uh, So I think Brady, like, from a media standpoint, is more defenseless than ever, and it's kind of interesting to watch, like, fewer people sticking up for him.
1: Alex Guerrero was the trainer that Belichick didn't like, right? Like, he wouldn't let him into into the building a lot of times for the Patriots, wasn't that? Yeah, there was a weird... So there were like kind of I just didn't couldn't remember if it was Alex Guerrero specifically, but that name yes. When well, you said the name it was, just it was kinda it rang a bell and then that's when I that's why I'm asking.
0: That is that is he was sort of entrenched in the in the major like Tom Brady Bill Belichick fight that supposedly happened, you know, during that Eagle Super Bowl, like that season, not necessarily the Super Bowl itself, but there seemed to be like major tension growing between Brady and Belichick in that season. And Guerrero was a part of it. Um, this is all kind of according to ESPN Seth Wickersham and a Boston Globe report. They, they did the sort of like heavy legwork on it. But like even early in that season, I, I was at a press conference with Belichick and I asked him, hey, I saw you know Alex Guerrero on your sideline during an away game. I'd never seen him there. You know, has he increased his standing within your staff? And it was actually a bad question because – Guerrero wasn't on staff so Belichick immediately was like that guy doesn't work for us and it was he was like furious that I had asked the question Mm -hmm. and I didn't really understand why but then it later came out that um that Guerrero was was sort of a hot spot um for uh for drama and uh there was some sort of like there was some backtracking uh, where people are like, "Oh, the relationship wasn't that bad," but I think I think there was definitely some, there was smoke, so there was fire there.
2: Um, do you think Tom Brady's a little bit jealous of the of the Cam Newton signing in New England now? Like Cam Newton's basically taking over, like the spotlight that was Tom Brady's.
0: I bet. It, I mean, I think it's probably natural. It's only natural for someone to to look back at like their old job and see someone mm-hmm. take over and maybe like Newton will have success. And I think may you know, and if Brady doesn't like, again, it's only, it's only human to be like what could have been right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Brady's got 50 million reasons to be content with Tampa Bay plus 50 million reasons, obviously being the money that he's guaranteed to play for the Buccaneers. Plus his offense is so good. Like I think, I think Tampa sets him up so nicely to be um, the best quarterback he can be, Mm -hmm. sort of statistically speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, So if he can go have like a Peyton Manning year uh, when Manning was blowing up in Denver, I think that's kind of what Brady's looking for is like to cement his legacy. Even if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, even if statistically he just has like one good year and blows up, I think he'll be content – um, but yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't get inside Tom Brady's head. But I know if I was leaving um, a place where I won six Super Bowls and and a and a guy as as sort of impressive as Cam Newton showed up, then then I would probably be a little jealous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, getting back to the whole Brady Belichick drama, because there were so many stories about in the past where I think it was like Belichick was ripping, I think he ripped Brady during a meeting, you know, like during a tape session or something like that and other players obviously came out but the Patriots have been a team that have been together for just forever the same offensive line pretty much Julian Edelman Tom Brady Rob Gronkowski you know just to name a few did it just be get to a point where Belichick is Belichick but like Brady and Gronk and Edelman were basically like look Bill we won six Super Bowls together like I don't think I need to be ripped because I messed up one play you know, it just kind of seems like that's where people just got tired of Belichick's antics, but at the end of the day, was that pretty much what it was? It's just the fact that they were together for so long that they just didn't understand after winning six Super Bowls why they, you know, Belichick's going to still keep giving them a hard time.
0: It, it could be that. Um, it could be that because I think Brady endured Belichick's harsh criticisms for um, – many years, and um, I think he probably got to a point where, you know, think about who Bruce Arians is. I mean, he's known as one of, like, the most laid-back, um, hands-off coaches. Um, philosophically, their, their offensive schemes are so different. Bill Belichick likes, has has at least in the Brady era, likes to have Brady, you know, throw passes within 15 yards and use that quick processing power to get the ball out fast, get the ball out accurately and um, move chains uh, to a degree where it's sometimes boring versus Bruce Arians is like, let's just, let's uh, what's the line that's famous from Arians? No, no, no guns, no glory. I don't remember. Uh, That's probably a terrible guess at it. But anyways, he's all about throwing the deep ball. He's all about getting aggressive. Um, And so it's philosophically different. And then you see that materialized sort of in a day-to-day level where Arians lets his players, you know, he, he sends them home for holidays. He tells coaches that work for him that if they miss uh, one of their kids practice uh, games or dance recitals, that they're fired. Bill Belichick is so very opposite of that. So I think, If we're just going to extrapolate merely from that, that Brady went from one extreme to another, then perhaps, yes, it it speaks to what you're saying, which is that Brady was ready for something, not just ready for something new, ready for the exact opposite.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, even though me and Craig are both Jets fans, I'm going to ask a Giants question here quick, and it's going to be about Joe Judge. Can you give us just like a little bit more information on Joe Judge? Because when the Giants hired Joe Judge as their head coach, I was it was a bit of a question mark to me because you don't really see, you know, special teams coordinators go from special teams coordinators to head coaching jobs. So it was a little mind-boggling to me. So maybe do you have a little bit more insight on what kind of coach Joe, uh, Joe Judge is.
0: Sure, yeah. So at this time last year, actually, I wrote a big, uh, about a 1,000-word story on why, I, I, why Joe Judge was getting head coaching interviews and why I thought he was about a year out from getting a head coaching job. Mm-hmm. So, But the irony is, the reason why I thought he was going to get a head coaching job this year was because I thought he was going to do a great job with the Patriots receivers and help them overachieve. And that would propel his reputation as a special teams coordinator and as an offensive sort of, at least someone who can do more than special teams right? Because mm-hmm. if you can coach receivers, maybe you understand. Um, so that was why I thought he was on the precipice of, of, of a head coaching job. Not only that, I guess, but I, I I have come to respect him a great deal sort of as a, um, everybody I speak to about him respects him a great deal about coaching, um, about his understanding of the X's and O's, about his professionalism, his work ethic. I mean, he just, he just sort of like he was he was he's been groomed to be this for so long it feels like everybody has known this about him. Um, now, of course, plenty of coaches have come up through Belichick's system and have have kind of felt the same way, right? Like that they were groomed to be, you know, a, a head coach, and they haven't succeeded, um, or very few have. So uh, definitely, that that's a possibility. But I have always been impressed by Joe Judge. The one thing that bugs me a little bit about him right now is uh, how he's flirting, I would say, a little bit too closely with the uh, Belichickian approach to uh, media and probably how he's handling the locker room, too, where it's like everything's an open competition. I don't really want to get specific about players right now. Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to, like, let things play out. um I think that, I think that kind of rubs people the wrong way. You saw it with Pat- Matt Patricia, who was like, he showed up in Detroit, and immediately the Detroit pre- free press was like ripping him, right? Uh, and leaking reports about players being unhappy. And I think like a big part about being a head coach, particularly in New York, is that you have to control the media storyline. You have to appeal slightly to. Um, the media, you have to be likable, uh, so they'll portray you in a positive light. And I wonder if Joe Judge kind of stepped off on, on a wrong foot to a degree, um, but yeah, I think he can recover. I think he is, um, he's going to be a, a pretty solid coach, um, and the fact that he coached special teams just kind of means that he's worked with every player on a team he's worked with offensive players he's worked mm-hmm. with defense players uh he's worked with specialists so he knows how to relate to these guys he knows um the value of, of a phase of the game that is going undervalued these days but clearly matters because belichick belichick loves it so <laughs> i think that <laughs> speaks to
1: it Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that about Judge because it kind of reminded me a lot of um, when Eric Mangini was the head coach of the Jets. And one of the Eric Mangini just basically, I mean, he would literally give you no information (laughs) about anything. When he was there. it was almost like another Belichick in a way. I mean, I guess that was just, that was just kind of like the vibe. I mean, that's what he learned from Bill when he was in New England as a defensive coordinator before he became the head coach of the Jets. But he kind of did the same thing. It was just like, you know, we'll let you know, it's a competition. <laughs> like it wasn't, he was very vague too. I guess, you know, just to kind of pony off of Klim's question, is, is basically the key to success to being, a since Belichick's coaches have always kind of failed more than succeeded, is it kind of developing your own personality, your own persona, your own, just your own set of rules and regulations and not automatically kind of veering towards the Belichick way?
0: Yeah, I think I think coaches defer to the Belichick way because that's the way that they've learned to coach. So like Matt Patricia has he never coached in another environment. He didn't learn from anyone else. Um, Judge did coach in other environments, but I think his most influential job titles were in Alabama and uh, New England, which are very similar organizations. Mm -hmm. Saban and Belichick are best friends for a reason. So. Um, I think
1: to a degree,
0: um, it helps for player for, uh, excuse me, coaches to step away from the Belichick persona, really be themselves and take the things that they found that were successful from Belichick, as many as they can find to be genuine for themselves and their own personality, bring those because obviously Belichick is extremely successful, but you can't be him. There's no way to recreate his way of doing things and so um yeah I think it's hugely important for for, for coaches to step away from the Patriot way uh, especially his step away from like pay, overpaying for Patriots players just to bring the culture in that's that's like such a telltale sign because like you think about Matt Patricia in Detroit who spent a ton of money on bringing in former Patriots players, Trey Flowers, Daron Harmon, the list kind of goes on, um, and uh, J- Jamie Collins. Um, and so it's like that's actually the opposite of the Patriot way, right? Like they don't pay for players like, like that. Uh, they, they develop They're players up. like that.
1: They're pretty much
0: um, So you can like try so hard to establish a Patriots culture that you're reversing the process. So yes, it's important to to step away from
2: that. All right, this is going to be my last question. Um, Every time you know I meet someone from Massachusetts or talk to someone from Massachusetts, I always have to ask this one question: How good is Nick's roast beef sandwiches?
0: Say, I don't even. I grew up in Connecticut, so I don't even. I thought
2: you grew up in Mass. I was like, damn. Because my one of my buddies, he lives in Mass, big-time Patriots fan, he's like, "Yo, you, know, you got to go get these sandwiches up there. I'm like, roast beef sandwich? How good can a roast beef sandwich be? I had it. Probably the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. So if you ever get wow. into, the, into the Beverly Mass area, that's where it is. I guarantee you, one of the best sandwiches I've ever eaten.
0: I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> you sold me. That's all I needed here. I'll check it out.
1: Uh, Henry, one last question for me. Um, when Josh McDaniels had a verbal agreement to join the Colts and then backed out after Kraft talked to him, I pretty much got it in my head that the day that Belichick retires, Josh McDaniels is going to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. Do you think that is the case?
0: Yeah, I think the most likely outcome is a sort of triumvirate of Nick Casario, who's currently the director of player personnel, He flirted with the idea of leaving for the Texans before Belichick kind of barred that from happening. Um, And then, like you said, McDaniels has tried to leave. Belichick has either financially or sort of like by finicking with the rules prevented McDaniels from going. And then I think Steve Belichick is probably a a person you could check out as like a potential um, leader in the future of New England as like a defensive coordinator Um, but him him less so I think you you kind of hit it on the nose at this point Robert Kraft is is planning probably to have uh, Josh McDaniels in the wings I think if McDaniels could very well get impatient and if the right job comes up he'll take it somewhere else Hmm. Um, but in the meantime McDaniels is just going to wait for Belichick so it's kind of going to be one or the other like either McDaniels favorite job like this year it sounded like the the Browns job might have been a good fit for McDaniels he was like ready to take that the Browns went with Stefanski so every year I could I would guess that if a if a team that looked as tempting as the Patriots came up McDaniels would go and if not he's happy to wait to be the next Patriots coach
1: yeah because every I mean it's the only logical explanation that made sense as to why he didn't take the Colts job was it had to be just because it only, the only thing that made sense was eventually he's just going to be the next head coach. It's almost like it reminds me in Baltimore where Eric DaCosta was the assistant GM for so many years and so many teams wanted to interview him and he just pretty much knew he had an agreement to take over for Ozzie Newsom when it was time, when Ozzie Newsome decided to retire as a general manager. So it was the only explanation that made sense and I just, I just couldn't see any other outcome. I mean, McDaniels' name comes up every year for head coaching jobs. And after the Indianapolis thing, I don't know if teams just kind of shy away from him now because they don't want to be humiliated if he, you know, backs out of another deal. But it just seems to me like the only thing that makes sense is he's going to eventually be the next coach of the Patriots.
0: Yeah. And that may be, that may be.
1: All right. One last thing on a fantasy. I, I know on your Twitter profile, it says that you're a fantasy football guy. Um, I have to ask this question because I've recently joined leagues that I'm not used to. And I guess my question is, why do teams put such an emphasis on drafting running backs over receivers when it's kind of one and the same?
0: You mean, why do fantasy football teams prioritize that?
1: Yeah, because like I think if you rush a bunch of touchdowns compared to a receiver catching touchdowns, it almost seems like the points don't really change. they almost like cancel each other out. So I was never really sure uh, as to why running backs were valued so much higher than receivers.
0: It's an issue of scarcity, right? So it's like there are 32 32 wide receiver ones uh, in the NFL. And then, you know, every team plays usually uh, a wide receiver two in every formation. So, um, you know, 64 receivers get snaps.
1: And, like, how many
0: receivers – catch uh for over a thousand yards every season how many receivers score eight or more touchdowns every season i bet the number is is uh almost double the amount of running backs that rush for over a thousand yards and the amount of running backs that rush for um over eight touchdowns just looking at last year it may be even more than double it may be way more than double it's probably like four times as much so when you're looking to draft in the first round What you want is someone who gives you not just um, a big amount of points every week, but Mm -hmm. more points comparatively than the other team's best player uh, and, and a greater advantage. So like that's why quarterbacks shouldn't go in the first few rounds is like on average, a quarterback will actually only give you like a few points more per week. If you're using like, Let's say you had drafted Aaron Rodgers in the second round or, or like who was going in the second round last year, probably like Drew Brees and Patrick Mahomes. Drew Brees would not have given you a significant return on investment because he every week is only like two points higher than, you know, the guy that you could have gotten in the, in the uh, seventh round. Maybe it was like Lamar Jackson, or maybe it was even uh, like someone you picked up on waivers. So This is sort of a roundabout way of explaining it, but basically it's like if you draft Ezekiel Elliott with the first overall pick or Christian McCaffrey, they are going to be so significantly better than the running backs you will get in the sixth round, Right. unlike the receiver and quarterback positions where like you could could skip on Odell Beckham Jr., but in the sixth round, pick a guy like, I haven't done my fantasy like refreshing from last year, but Let's think of somebody who, like, popped. Uh, maybe, like, Thielen. Was Thielen mm-hmm. a guy who was going in the middle?
1: Yeah, round? He's, like, he's like a mid-round draft guy. Adam or, like, Thielen.
0: Cooper Cup. How about Cooper Cup? He was coming yeah. off an ACL injury. He was going late in rounds. He totally popped last year, right? Yeah. So, you just – you can get – I'm just trying to point out, basically, that there's greater depth at the receiver position. The running back is extremely shallow. And mm-hmm. so, if you, can, if you can get one of those elite running backs, you do it.
1: Henry, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk some Patriots football with us. And what we always say on the show is every time we have a guest that covers a particular team, regardless of sport, we always look forward to that sport 10 times more in wish the season started tomorrow. So uh, yep. thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again in the near future, hopefully if there's a season in 2020.
0: Yes, hopefully there is. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. It was great to meet you
1: and uh, stay well. All Thanks. right. Take care of yourself, Henry. Thanks again. That was Henry McKenna, Patriots beat writer for the Patriots Wire of USA Today. Clem, on a scale of 1 to 10, how fired up are you for football? Look, I'm always fired
2: up for football. I'm always, I'm always at the level of 10 for football. But now you know I got to talk to Henry. Put me at a 20. I'm ready. See, it's kind of cool because, like, I don't hate the Patriots
1: as much as I used to.
2: Is that just because Brady's gone?
1: No. I mean, the thing was, I always thought, listen, Jet fans could be upset all they want about, you know, and then, you know, when guys like Samini put stories out about how, you know, somebody went to Parcells and wanted to draft Brady and Parcells said no, you know, that's just to kind of get under your skin a little bit more than anything. And Samini's doing a job at the end of the day. So I, you know, I totally, and I will give him a mulligan because he's not Meta, who just puts out crap, like pretty much on a daily basis. But the thing is, is that there was never any rivalry between the Jets and Patriots because the Patriots have completely dominated the rivalry. They've The Jets have won a few games. They had a nice little run with Rex, you know, winning a couple of regular season games and winning in the playoffs. But other than that, there hasn't been much to this rivalry whatsoever. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the games are close, and then the, the Jets always blow it late, and then they lose. So,
2: yeah.
1: I mean, but... You know, this is an interesting year for New England, mainly because no Tom Brady.
2: Yeah.
1: Now you get to see if the Patriots' success was more Belichick or more Brady.
2: Yeah, you'll get to see. You're we're gonna finally see behind the curtain that you know is it, it was it Tom Brady or was it Bill Belichick? You know. And, and that's
1: why I'm more inclined to like say that like I wish it was Jared Stidham, quarterback in the Patriots, because that would have just been more delicious for a guy like Belichick to say, yeah, I just won my division with a fourth-round quarterback. so when I went all the pretty way pretty here. Tough, Brady. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm I'm dead serious, though. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. it's a great signing because it's a low-risk, high-reward signing.
0: Yeah. But,
1: you know, at the end of the day, we really now see how good, well, not how good, I don't want to go that far, of course, but you know, the extent of what made the dynasty, was it more Brady or was it more Belichick?
2: Yeah, exactly. That's what we wanted to see, you know, and we Unfortunately, we're we're not gonna get to see that for maybe another year or so. So, it's up in question. But like I said, I've never like I don't like the Patriots, but I never like hated them. Like I hate like the Yankees or like the Phillies or any other team yeah. like that. I don't. I don't. I have nothing. I had. No, I never had anything against Brady, and I never had anything against Belichick. Did I hate watching them every Sunday win? Absolutely. But I had.
1: I had nothing against them. All right, Clem. Before we get out of here, any final thoughts?
2: Um. Yeah. Uh, let's go Jets, man. I'm ready, man. I'm ready.
1: For <laughs> football. I'm so ready for football, especially with, this, with the garbage that's going uh, on with baseball. Did you see the NFL's, like, COVID-19 policy? I did not. Dude, it's insane. Like, it's so technical about every little thing. And at one point, there was, like, a conference call, and Philip Rivers actually asked, asked a very good question. And he said, what if it's Super Bowl week and during the bye,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a player that's valuable on the team tests positive and is asymptomatic? <laughs> It's like, do we follow these procedures? Are we just kind of letting it go because of the Super Bowl? And the NFL is like, nope, we're, we're sticking to these procedures. So <laughs> you're basically out of luck in many ways. And, I mean, listen, with all due respect, I don't know if the Colts are going to the Super Bowl with Rivers this year. But, I mean, it's just – it was a great question that I asked during a – just during a conference call just to kind of detail it. It's very detailed. It's very confusing. So, like, if you get a chance to look at it, look at it. But it's really, really confusing. Uh, one minor wrestling note for us, uh, for me in general, um, Impact Wrestling Slammiversary is coming up on the 18th, and they are teasing some former WWE names joining the, uh, appearing at the event. Um, there's already a rumor that Gallows and Anderson are going to be there, as like a, uh, confirmed. But now there's some talk that um, Creator Pro founder Brian Myers could be going as well as Heath Slater Ooh, because um, Brian Myers tweeted something about July 18th, and I don't know if that's the end of his uh, non compete mm-hmm. WWE, but uh, he could be going to Impact as well as Heat Slater. Heat Slater is definitely confirmed, I think, for Impact, but not until Slammiversary.
2: Well, I was just about to debug that news because I heard earlier today PW Insider reported that Heat Slater supposed to appear on Monday Night Raw tonight and in fact ipso facto he did
0: yeah, he's
1: under con- the thing is he's still under contract oh, so okay. he, he doesn't have to leave yet after July 18th I think it's July 18th exactly which is the day that the it ends
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's free to go to wherever he wants but he's technically still under contract so they can use him that was what they were teasing about with Sarah Logan for a while because she still has a non-compete with WWE
2: well her big news was that she's pregnant
1: she's pregnant and yeah. congratulations to her
2: yeah, congrats on the sacks.
1: It's the worst mistake that WWE ever made was breaking up the ride squad. Oh, and now they're definitely not getting back together. You can- <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And on that note, that's going to do it for the Moffitt on the Mic show today. Uh, special thanks to Henry McKenna, Patriots beat writer for the Patriots writer, Patriots wire of USA Today. So definitely check out his stuff. It's great. And uh, we really appreciate Henry taking the time to uh, join us on the show and he gave us a ton of insight on the upcoming season for the New England Patriots. And um, you know, one guy I'm going to look out for this year, I think, is going to be Chase Winovich, man. Yeah, I you know I, I... wanted the Jets to draft so bad, I no. wanted him so bad for the and they didn't. They drafted Jakai Polite.
2: You know, I was when we were, when I was writing up these questions, I'm like, you know what. Craig won't have a Chase Winovich question. Let me get that one I in there. Prepared, I was like, oh,
1: my God. So you read my well, mind. Well, shit, I wanted to ask him that question. I was like, oh, he's not going to think of a Chase Winovich question. Let's go. But, uh, again, we want to thank Henry McKenna for taking the time to talk to us again talk some Patriots football. Check out his stuff on the Patriots Wire of uh, USA Today. Clem, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. You can follow the show, as always, on Instagram at Moff on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and my Facebook page as well. You can also follow the A1 Sports Network. Check out the website. Clem had the pleasure of going to the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest press conference where he got to meet Joey Jaws Chestnut and possible future guest on the Moffat on the Mic show, women's champion Mickey Sudo. Definitely check out the website. Check out all the in- interviews. They kicked ass. And uh, uh, we're going to, on our next show, we're going to talk to Clem. Clem's going to give us the feedback and a little drama, Clem, a little drama. Apparently uh, somebody took issue with you being at the A1, uh, on behalf of the A1 Sports. Now we're going to the uh, Nathan's Hot Dog event. So we'll get into that as well. On behalf of the People's Producer, Chris Clem, I am Craig Moffat. This has been the Moffat on the Mic show. Wherever you are, stay safe, wear the damn mask, and uh, have a great rest of the day. And we'll be back with another show tomorrow. Uh, Just recapping everything that happened over the weekend. There was a lot that happened over the weekend in in all sports. So, again, on behalf of Clem, I am Craig. Everybody take care of yourselves and have a great evening.